Hey, listen, we've been talking about soul care, been in a little series recently, and just trying to uh, express to each one of us the importance of taking care of your soul. We work a lot on our body, take good care of other things, but the soul really is where it's at. Um, In fact, what is the soul? The soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions, your thoughts, the things you think, decisions you make, the feelings you feel, and it's important that you take care of it. In fact, 3 John tells us in chapter 1, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. If you don't have a prosperous soul, you're going to probably have some issues in other areas of your life as well. It's important to take care of your soul. I want you to ask the person for me next to you, ask them for me, will you ask them, how is your soul? Would you ask them that, please? How is your soul? Some of y'all didn't do that. I was watching. I saw You just stared at me. That's okay. Hey, listen, we talked a few weeks ago about some of the things we can do to take care of our soul. We introduced to you the one-minute pause, and hopefully you've been trying to implement that in your life. A one-minute pause basically is, is where you just take a minute during the course of the day and just, just kind of reflect upon the Lord. So... In case you haven't been doing it, let's do it together. Everybody take a deep breath and breathe out. Now I want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray this prayer in your heart. Father, I give you everything and I give you everyone. Father, I give you everything and I give you everyone. Second prayer is, Father, fill my cup to overflowing. Amen. If you do that several times a day, I promise you, you'll be way down the road of taking care of your soul. It's amazing how quickly we can attach things to our lives that have no business being there. In fact, here's how important the one-minute pause is. I received this text this week. I just want to read the text for you. He said, good morning, Pastor. I just want to thank you for sharing the one-minute pause with us. I kept forgetting about doing it because of life and its distractions, so I set for myself a reminder on my phone yesterday. So I started off my day with the one-minute pause, and here is what happened. I met with our finance person at work, and found out I was getting a more than a $6,000 a year raise. A one-minute pause. I'm just telling you about a one-minute pause. And then our CPA called and informed us that for the first time since our kids left home, we were getting a refund, $6,000 from the federal government, $2,000 from the state. I mean, well, that's a miracle. One-minute pause. I'm just talking about a one-minute pause. Not only that, they said, but she realized, the accountant, that she had made a mistake on last year's return, amended it, and now we will be getting another $7,000 from last year. I do not believe in luck or coincidence. That was my God showing me that he was waiting for me all along to give him control. A one-minute pause. Yeah. 
Now, I'm not guaranteeing a $6,000 raise for a one-minute but I am telling you that it will definitely help you down the road of taking care of your soul, a one-minute pause. You do it several times throughout the day. Amazing the difference it will make in your life. Well, I have a question for you. How many here have ever had something stolen from you? Raise your hand. Has something stolen from you? I asked the first uh, service that question, and everyone raised their hand. Uh, only two people in the whole congregation had not had anything stolen from them. Incredible. Uh, everyone has typically been touched by somebody stealing something from them. I remember I was a youth pastor in Mississippi, and uh, one night I went up to the church to spend some time praying for our youth group and church, and so I was up there uh, seeking the Lord until uh, the wee hours of the night, uh, and I decided to, you know, go home and getting tired, and so I went out to my car, and there the window had been smashed in, and my record player, but I'm a cassette player at that time, Uh, but the radio, everything had been pulled out, ripped out, stolen, wires just dangling from my dashboard. First time I'd ever had anything of value stolen from me in my life. I felt violated. I felt like, I'd felt like someone stepped over the line. In fact, I, I, I would have been glad to give them my radio if they had just asked. They didn't have to do all that damage just to have what they got. We've all had people or things stolen from us. And Jesus says it like this, John 10, 10, that we have to be aware of even someone greater than a thief stealing a radio. He said there is a thief and he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Now that kind of a thief is somebody you need to be careful of. Radio is one thing, but them to kill you, that's a whole nother thing. But he says, I've come to give life and life more abundantly or life to the full. Can I just tell you, in case you didn't know this, you have an enemy and the enemy of your soul is out to wound you. Now, I don't, I, I don't like talking about the devil a lot. I love talking about God because for so long the church has talked about a big devil and a little God and a powerless church. And I believe, though, that God wants us to talk about a big God, you know, and a little devil and a powerful church. But today, I do want to spend some time talking about the enemy of your soul because if you're not aware of the conflict that you are in, then you will be to some degree, compromised in your walk and in your soul as you walk this thing out of faith. In fact, we don't have to look any further than the book of Job to find how desperately the enemy is out to minimize anybody's testimony of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. In fact, the enemy, Satan, even goes before God and says to us in the book of Job, has a conversation with God and says, I really would tell you, God, this guy Job that you think is so wonderful of a person would curse you in your face if you just stopped blessing him the way you did. And so they worked out a deal and God said, okay, I don't think that's true and I know it's not true, but whatever you feel you want to do, you can do as long as you don't take his life just to prove to you this is a great man of God. And you know the story, there's a whole book of the Bible about the enemy coming time after time after time, wounding, 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 waiting for Job to finally curse God and yet he never would. Proving to all the world and the angels even in the heavens that 
God was good and he was a man of faith. And the real enemy that we have to understand of our soul is Satan himself. Let me ask you this question before we go any further. How many here would love to see a miracle? How many would love to see a miracle? How many here have never seen a miracle? Raise your hand. You've never seen a miracle. Okay, there's a view. I have some good news for you this morning. I'm going to let you see a miracle. You're going to see a miracle right before your eyes. I want you to turn to that person next to you, look at them in the eyes, and say, hello, my miracle. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, that person next to you is a miracle. Because the devil tried to take him out. The devil tried to cause her to curse God. The devil tried to wound that person, did everything in his power to get them to walk away from the kingdom of God and the goodness of God. They've got scars on their back to prove it. They've got scars in their heart to prove it. And yet they're still standing here. They're still sitting here, still loving God, still lifting up their hands unto the Lord, have every reason to turn away from the Lord, but they're here. That is a miracle. You have seen a miracle. The enemy comes, and he wants to inflict a wound over and over and over again. A wound so deep that you're paralyzed. A wound so deep that you lose your joy. You're fighting for your strength. You're fighting for your family. You're fighting for your business. He comes, and he never stops. It's like the waves of the ocean. You think just when you put him at bay that, that he'll never come back. Even Jesus found that as he uh, was tempted in the wilderness, the enemy left for a season, but he came back. He keeps coming back. He never stops until you take your last breath. Does he ever come back? Stop coming after you and he comes to steal to kill and to destroy and if you don't know the tactics and the subtlety of the enemy you'll find yourself slipping backwards and not gaining ground going forward the enemy wants to come to your life look at this Luke chapter 22 even Simon Peter even one of the disciples Jesus says to him Simon Simon the enemy is asked to sift all of you as wheat but I I have prayed for you I've noticed that passage, I've read that many times, and I, I just caught my eye. Jesus said, I have, I've been praying for, I'm praying for you, Simon. Man, how many, no, that's a wonderful thing to have Jesus praying for you. Uh, it's, uh, in fact, that was driving down the road this week, and I, I just said, I've never said this before, I said, Jesus, I need you to pray for me right now. <laughs> I felt really good about saying that. How many know he lives to make intercession for the saints? And, and so I said, Jesus, pray for me right now. I need some prayer. I'm about to have a conversation. I, I need some prayer. And so Jesus says, I'm going to pray for you, Simon. I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, in other words, you're, you're going to waver, but you're going to turn back, and I'm, gonna, I'm praying that you will strengthen your brothers when you do. You see, the devil knew the potential that Peter had. The devil knew the potential that you have, and he does everything in his power to get you to drop the mic because once he sees that you pick up that microphone, you begin to testify of the greatness of God, then things change. In fact, Peter would come out of the upper room and go walk into the streets of Jerusalem. He would preach a message, his first microphone message. Now, I didn't have a microphone. You get my mess, my point. He, he, his first message out of the gates, and he would preach, and 3,000 people would give their heart to the Lord. 
Why? Because Jesus prayed for him. Even though the enemy tried to sift him, he came, he did not lose his faith. He came back and he strengthened his brothers and became a powerful evangelist in the body of Christ. God has a message for you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to use you. He wants to build you up and he wants you to walk away from the subtleties of the enemy. Do you know what those are? Because he desires to sift you. I lived in Colorado for a time and my father uh, had bought a Jeep and we would go up into the mountains of Colorado on on weekends when he was in town and he always kept a a little pan underneath his seat and we would be driving along and he would pull over the side of the road and and, uh, he'd turn the engine off and he'd get out and pick his seat up and pull out this pan. I said, Dad, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to go pan for some gold. This looks like a good, I see gold. I feel like there's gold down there. And he would go down there and he'd bend over. He'd grab him that pan and he would grab some, some, some of that dirt, the gravel there by the edge of that, that, uh, that creek and he would swish it around until a lot of that soil and dirt and gravel just kind of made its way off the top and off down to the creek again until all that was left was just maybe a little tiny little baby BB-sized baby nugget. And because um, gold always is heavier than all the other minerals and so, so that was the point of sifting. He would call it sifting or panning for gold. It was going through a process of getting to something that's valuable down at the bottom. The enemy wants to sift you. He wants to get to the very root of what's powerful and deep inside of you that's valuable. And he wants to sift you. He wants to get rid of all of that. He wants to cause you to lose your testimony and lose your potential affecting the people in the earth. So how does the enemy sift you? Glad you asked. Number one. He lies to you. He lies. Can I remind you of John chapter 8? You belong to the Father, Jesus says, the devil. <laughs> and you want to carry out your Father's desires. And, he was, and he's talking about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He blows things out of proportion. He sprinkles, sprinkles little truth into something, even though uh, it's most all a lie. There's enough little truth in there to make you wonder if there's something to it. In fact, he would do that in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. He would come and he would talk to um, Eve in the garden and he would ask her this question, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You won't certainly, certainly die. Well, yes, she would die. They would die. Spiritually, they would die. But he sprinkles a little bit of of truth into the lie. And the only way he can lead you into bondage, listen to me, the only way enemy can lead you into bondage is through a lie. And that's it. Oh, one more time, because I don't think you heard me. The only way the enemy can lead you into bondage is through a lie and nothing else. It's the only weapon he has. Some say, well, he's like a roaring lion. Yeah, but he doesn't have any teeth. He just lies. He's the father of lies. He's the best liar in the entire universe. You think you've met some liars, and some of you have even been a champion liar yourself in your day. And you can weave a tale that even you started to believe. 
But you have never met your match until you met the enemy of your soul. He is the master liar of all liars. He's a conniver. He is subtle. He's convincing. He's uh, persuasive. He's compelling. He's slick. He's smooth tongue, and he appeals to your flesh. And if you're not walking in the spirit, you will hear the lie and not know it's a lie and fall to its subtleties just like that. And before long, you're washed away and you've been sifted away. All he needs, all he needs is for you just to take one nibble of the bait. He don't need you to take the whole bait. Just in fact, he don't even need you to take a nibble. He just needs you to take a whiff of the cheese. Just get close enough to just smell the cheese and that trap falls smack on your spiritual spine. He fills your heads with thoughts like, this circumstance is gonna destroy me. This is gonna wipe me out. I'll never recover from this. I have no power over this. This addiction is mine. I'll carry this for the rest of my life. He lies to you and says things like this. There's no way out. Says things like this. I married the wrong person. Says things like this, we're incompatible, we're too different, we'll never get along. Well, that's why you got married with them to them from the beginning with, because they're not like you. And you don't like you. So you married someone not like you, and now you don't like them because they're not like you, and you don't even like you. He's a liar. Robert Louis Stevenson said the cruelest lies are often told in silence. Things, thoughts you have in your head no one even hears. So how do I shut down the lies? How do I shut that thing down? By asking a question, and here's the question you ask. Who told me this? Who's telling me this? Isn't that what God said to Eve and and Adam in the garden, he came to walk with them in the cool of the day like he always had done, but they had now partaken of that fruit, that forbidden fruit, and now they were hiding. And, 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 and God comes and says, hey, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And, and, and he's like, hiding. He goes, I'm, I was hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I was naked. And God says, of all the things he could ask, he says, who told you this? See, that's the lie. Who told you this? And that is what you have to ask yourself all the time. Who told me I will never be loved? Who's telling me that I'll never measure up? Who's telling me that my marriage won't work out? Who is telling me that there's no way out of this uh, situation I'm in? Who's telling me that I've messed up so much that there's no escape, that my life is doomed to disaster the rest of my life? Who is telling me these things? Because when you believe the lies of the enemy, it will always lead you down the road of hopelessness. You're just hopeless. If you're feeling hope drained out of your soul, can I tell you this morning, it's because you've listened to some kind of a lie. If you're losing your drive to get up in the morning, you feel like you've lost your purpose for some reason, you've listened to a lie. 
If you begin to find yourself battling with depression, and, and, and many times it's because somewhere down the road there was a lie that you fed into. If, you, if you're shrinking back from people and opportunities and situations that present themselves to you, but instead of going forward, you shrink back, you've listened to a lie. He just speaks, he speaks, he speaks. You wake up, he speaks. Uh, you go to bed, he speaks. You go throughout the day, he's trying to speak into the airways, fiery darts, the psalmist said, into your mind. And if you don't wash yourself with the word, uh, then you won't have the ability to quench the fiery darts, the lies that are coming to your soul. And so you believe, the thoughts come, that the enemy throws into your brain, into your soul, you, and, and you, you don't know the difference between truth or lie because you haven't spent time with the Father, you haven't spent time in his word, and so you have no ability to ext extinguish the lie. And so you buy into it just by letting it sit there. Number two, how does he sift you? He convinces you that you have no value. You have no value. You, the world would be better off without you. In fact, we'll just do it all in. Isn't it, fun, isn't it funny at Christmas time, so many people want to watch one old movie in black and white, done on a low budget cost, and everybody can tell me the name of it. It's a wonderful life. You watch it every Christmas. You're probably watching it now because you love Christmas so much you, you started early. It's a wonderful life. Jimmy uh, Stewart. <laughs> we got fans. It's a wonderful life. We watch it. We know how it's going to go every year. We sit down with our hot chocolate next to the Christmas tree and we watch the same old movie over, 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 and over again. It's like we can't have Christmas without some wonderful life. The question has to be asked, why do we like this old black and white movie so much? And the answer is simply this. It reflects how we feel about ourselves so many times that we don't feel we have value. We don't feel like we're making a difference, that perhaps the world would be better off without us. We watch this little movie at Christmas time, when in fact we really would like to see it every day of our life because inside of our heart, deep down inside of our heart, if we were to be honest with you, we would say, I don't feel like I'm adding anything to anybody and I have no value. Can I just say this? Big fat lie. You have to understand that you have purpose and God is always, no matter, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter who you've hurt, how bad a mistake you've made, you still have value. You still have value. I remember talking with this lady whose son was in prison who had done a, a very horrible thing. I mean, a horrible thing. And 
She said, how's my son doing? I told her. She goes, I sure love that boy. And I wanted to say, we are talking about the same boy, right? But I didn't. She said, you know, a lot of people think he's evil, but he's got good down in his heart. I, could, I was wondering, how, if, a, if a mother could say that, how much more can our God say something like that about us? I know what's really down deep in there, and it's good stuff. That's why it's so important to build other people up. You can't come. I have never met a person in my life who said to me, Pastor, I'm just too encouraged. I've got a problem. Counsel with me, please, because I'm just always encouraged. And people will walk up and they will encourage me and keep encouraging me. I wake up encouraged. They keep encouraging me through the day. I go to bed, they're encouraging me. I'm, I'm just like, I'm overdosing on encouragement. I just need a break. Never met anyone like that. You can never encourage people enough. Here's the problem. You think you are, but you don't say it with your mouth. You think it in your head, and so you automatically think the other person knows what you're thinking. You gotta say it. The meal was awesome. My driving is amazing. I make the best wrong turns of anybody you know. You're looking good today. I love your smile. You make my heart sing when I see you. How come these things are so hard for us to say? Instead, we say the opposites. Why don't you keep your mouth shut? I don't know why I even married you. That's the dumbest thing you've ever said in your life. I mean, those things just fly out. Come on. But encouragement, that's why it says in Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. A boy went to school and he was kind of a geeky kind of guy. And uh, he, he was never, he was a little socially awkward a little bit and he was never in the group, in the clique and sat by himself most of the time at cafeteria time, lunchtime. One particular day, he's walking home, carrying a stack, larger than normal stack of books, almost as if he wasn't gonna be able to carry them. And as typically would happen quite often, some bullies jumped out from behind some bushes, got in his face, shoved him down, books went everywhere, glasses broke, making fun of him, you're dumb, you're stupid, you don't fit in, go, why don't you just quit school, we don't want to see you, we don't like you, you're a nobody. This particular guy, Bobby, had to, happened to see this whole situation play out. He came up, he got in these guys' face, he was the captain of the football team, and they cowered down, they ran away. He bent down, he picked up all these books, and he picked up the little boy, the young man, senior in high school, 
Picked him up, brushed him off, said, you okay? He said, yes. He goes, the little geeky guy says, I'll take my books. He goes, I'll carry them for you. Let's just walk together. The football player walked into his house, made sure he's okay. The next day, the geeky boy shows up at the lunch table by himself. The football captain sat next to him. Everyone's like, what's up with this? And they began this friendship that lasted the rest of the school year. The little socially awkward young man ended up becoming valedictorian of the school that year, so was given the opportunity to give the speech a commencement. And so while he was giving his opening remarks, he thanked everybody appropriately, teachers, parents. But he says, most of all, I want to tell you I want to thank Bobby. Because no one knows this, what I'm about to tell you, including Bobby himself. But there was a day early in this year where I was carrying a stack of books home. And the reason I was carrying a stack of books home was because I cleaned out my, clo- my locker that morning, that afternoon, and it made up my mind I was going to go home and kill myself. And sure enough, as I was making my way home, these guys came and pushed me down. Even more reason why I was worthless and had no value. And then suddenly Bobby shows up, the captain of the football team. He helped me pick up my books. He walked me home. He apologized to me in behalf of those boys. Says so long as he's around, that would never happen again. He said, I begin to second guess my, my attempt to kill myself that night. And maybe I should give it a little bit of time because I saw a glimmer of hope that maybe I did have a little bit of value, at least to somebody in my life. And then the next day, as he's talking in his commencement speech, Bobby came and sat with me next, next to me at the, high, at the high school lunch cafeteria room, and no one had ever done that before, especially someone as popular as Bobby. He could have sat anywhere he wanted, but he sat by me. He sat by me the rest of the year, and we became friends. He says, today, I want you to know I stand here in front of you because of Bobby. Bobby, thank you for saving my life. It's amazing, isn't it? How one act of kindness can lead someone to spare their life. Number three, what does the enemy do? As he sifts you, he tries to keep you in the if-only mindset. The if-only mindset. If, If only I had done this. If only I had done that. If only I had been born to other parents. If only I had gone to another school. If only I hadn't taken that job, if only I hadn't said what I said to that girl or done what I did to that boy, if only I hadn't gone to that party, if only, and our life is filled with if only regrets and shame, if only. It drives you crazy. Research has shown that 
the human mind will remember roughly at its best 3% of all the things that happened to you in your lifetime. 3% will make it somewhere into that long-term memory. To me, that's a pretty good odds. That's a pretty good percentage. In fact, if you break it all down, some would say 17 events a year will make it into your long-term memory bank. So of all the things you do this year, about 17 of them you're really ever gonna remember. But what's interesting though is what we do remember usually are the mistakes. We remember the flaws, we remember the missteps, we remember the shame. And when God took the Egyptians, excuse me, the Israelites out of Egypt, he did it in one day. He took them out of a place of regrets and a place of shame. And he took him out and it took God 40 years to get all the years of slavery, the 400 plus years of slavery out of their hearts. It took God 40 years to get them down a 381 mile path to where they were supposed to go. 40 years because they lived a life of shame, regret, feeling that they were always lower and insignificant and never had any potential or life. And that's why when God brought them across the Jordan and finally into the promised land, he brings them to a city called Gilgal in Joshua chapter five. And the Lord says unto Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. The word reproach means the shame, the disgrace, the taunt that the enemy brings against us. He says, this day, I've rolled away the regrets of the past. Come on. No matter how long it's been, God still rolls away your regrets. He's still rolling them away. He still rolls them away. When my son was in high school, he played football, played basketball, he played all these events. Along with my other daughters, they played as well, but they had no desire to do anything later. So I, I thought my son may want to go to college, so I'll start videoing his games. Uh, and so I started videoing his football games, basketball games. And so there in his last year, I made a highlight film of his playing experiences. And it's interesting, when I watched that highlight film, there was never one interception. He never missed a tackle. He never lost yardage on a run. He only threw touchdowns or long passes. And if you were to watch the highlight film, you'd go, this was the perfect player. How could he do all these amazing feats? Because I edited his story. I didn't put in the bad decisions. I didn't put in the fumbles. I didn't put in the interceptions. I, I just put in the highlights. And can I tell you, we have a loving God and all our God knows how to do is to edit your mistakes and cause everyone to see all that is good. And all that is good is Jesus. Come on. 
He's the most incredible videographer you've ever met in your life. God, you remember when I said such and such and God's like, what? You said what? You know, remember when I did such and such, you did what? You know, when I really messed up that thing, I didn't know you did that. How, how do you not know? How do you not know that? Because, well, I think you repented and asked forgiveness, right? And so I forgot the moment you asked for forgiveness. Wow. Lastly, and we'll be done. What's the enemy do to sift you? He causes you to believe that God is against you. Man, that God that created you has turned against you. Isn't that what he did, the enemy did to Eve in the garden? He, he put a little lie, a little, little seed into her mind. Did God really say? In other words, what he was doing was saying, listen, you're gonna have to take control of your own life because this God that you think is so great has ulterior motives. You're just a little pawn in his scheme. You better take, you better look out for yourself. See, that was the little seed lie that he put into her mind, in Adam's mind. He wanted him to know that you can't trust this God. It was a lie. And that's what the enemy does to us. He's crafty, he's subtle, and he wants you to know you gotta look out for yourself. Uh, and you can't trust God with all your decisions because he could let you down because he's got other things going on and you've made some mistakes. Let me tell you something, no, no, no. God is for you in every sense, in every way, in every situation. Your God is for you. And one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible is Romans 8:31. What then? What then shall we say? What then shall we say in response to these things? And here's the answer. If God is for me, who can be against me? Who can be against me? Who? What? Is there anything that can come against me if he's for me? Not, not only does God love you enough to die for you, but he likes you enough to live in eternity with you. That's one, that's a good thing, right? He wants to spend eternity with you. He likes you that much. God, God, God has always had this issue when it comes to us humans that we tend to believe that God is not for us. In fact, he couldn't even bring his son, the Messiah, the deliverer, into the earth without first coming to the shepherds. And the shepherds singing a song. They sing a Christmas song and all that kind of stuff. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. What does that mean? That means peace on earth. You have a God who is for you. Goodwill. He wants to show you 
favor. He wants to show you goodwill. He, he wants you to know that he is right here pulling for you, behind you, in front of you, beside you, under you, over you, pulling you, speaking into your heart, saying, I am for you. Come on, somebody. Don't you know you have a God who's for you? He's for you. He's with you, by you, around you. You have a God that is all that and more. If, how can anything be against you if God is for you? He is for you. Come on, church. Sing it together. He is for me. He is with me. Oh, come on. Declare it before the Lord this morning. Yes, Lord. Beside you, around you. He's with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. He's for you. He's for me. He's for you. He's for you. Think about it, church. He's for you this morning. He's for you. He's with you. He's behind you. Thank you, Lord. I want you to understand before we leave this morning that we have an enemy of our soul that was doing everything in his power to convince you that you're going to have to look out for yourself because you're the only one that really cares about you. You know, this past week, I had a, I had a moment that shook me for for just a little bit. I got a, it was a phone call. A friend of mine doesn't live here, you don't know this person, that I respect with all my heart. He is literally a leader of his community. There's not a person in the community that doesn't admire respect this way. A man of God, loves the Lord, great family, entrepreneur, man of integrity. And I get this phone call, JP, you sitting down, what's up? And this man that I'm talking about, I'm told, has just killed himself. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. wait, wait. We talking about the same person. I, I'm, I'm going back, making sure I got the details right. I, I got the facts right, the person right. We, are you sure we're talking about the same person? Yes, that's him. I'm stunned. Have you ever been that point? You just, just like, I don't even know what to say. I, I don't even know the question to ask. I have so many questions. At the same time, I'm in shock, I'm in unbelief. How, how, how could a person so respected and loved and knows God, a Christian for that matter, and a man that has done good his whole life, how could he, he do that? How could he hide it? How could, how could he be compelled to, to want to think that? What, what came into his mind? And I sat there, I was in my chair, I sat there and I just got, Whoa, that's Satan. You know what I mean? 
You, do you remember the first time you ever realized you were in a spiritual war? You ever remember that first time you, you realized that you have a, an enemy that hates you? I, I, I was like seven or eight, nine years old, and I'd heard about God and the devil, but I never, that's all. I, and then one day I got in trouble, I backtalked my mom, I did, I don't know what I did, I did something stupid, and she, she banished me to my bedroom for like, it was like a couple hours, it seemed like two years. When you're that young, nice day outside. And, it, and I'm sitting there and I was, I was mad at her. And then I had this thought, it wasn't her, it was the devil. The devil, as Flip Wilson you say, the devil made me do it. He made me say that. And I'm like, who does he think it? And I went and I got, I remember this, I went and got my pillow and I just started beating his pillow like it was the devil. I said, you little devil, you little, I kicked my pillow all over the room. I was beating on this little pillow. And then my, it was my first realization that I have an enemy out to hurt me, destroy me, and to do me wrong. I've learned a lot since then. You wrestle not against flesh and blood or even pillows. The powers and principalities, rulers of darkness, and we're in a war. But the good thing is we've already won the war. We fight from the posture of victory, not for victory. And then we have a God that's for us. And all he just wants us to do is recognize the subtle lies that come to keep you back and to keep the kingdom of God from moving forward. So this morning, I've, I just want you to know you've been set free this morning. You've been set free of some lies. Some lies have been down there, way down there for a long time. I believe there may be here in our presence somebody like there was the first service that's never accepted Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior. Oh yeah, you've heard about Jesus, perhaps, perhaps you even knew God at one point, walked away. And today the Lord's saying, it's time to come back home. It's time to start this thing all over again. It's time to begin the journey with the Father that loves you. With every head up and eye open, you would say and have the boldness to say, today I wanna to give my life to Jesus. Right where you're at, I want you to raise your hand because I'm gonna pray for you. I wanna give my life to Jesus, raise your hand. I wanna give my life to Jesus, right here, today, amen. Giving my life to Jesus, thank you, Lord. Everyone else in this room, I want the prayer teams come stand here at the front. Before we dismiss, I want you to know we believe in prayer, we believe in praying for one another is a good thing. Two or more gathered together, agreeing any one thing, it shall be done unto them. We wanna pray for you, we encourage you, we we'll love on you. As we leave today, I want you to know one thing, that you have an enemy of your soul, and all he can do is lie. To ask the Holy Spirit, Father, Holy Spirit, reveal the subtleties of any lie. I've ever, in fact, let's just do this right now. Just close your eyes. Father God, any subtle lie, anything that has been said 
by the enemy that's found its way deep into the crevices of our soul. We ask you, Lord, to expose it. Right now, just expose that lie. We ask you to reveal it to us. And in place of that, Lord, we ask you to fill that with truth. And we do leave this place today knowing that if God is for us, then who can be against us? We thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.